So good to be with everyone here. Thank you for the time of worship, Merced. You guys did awesome. You guys are the best with using that technology and pouring out your heart. I feel so much of the Holy Spirit in the worship times. Thank you. Just keep doing what you're doing. Before I get into the word, just want to let you know that I'm posting on my Facebook a lot of the things that God has been speaking to me about our nation, the state of affairs during COVID, and a lot of insight that I believe you as students should be taking the time to study if it's of value to you. If you trust us as leaders to guard you, to help guide you when we preach to you on these matters, that's fine. You don't have to have your hand in every cookie jar, but I am cooking up some stuff in the oven. I was tempted last week, Sunday, yesterday rather, to preach on God and government, but I felt the check to stay with 1 John and close it out. And I did that by God's grace. But right before I preached, I felt the Lord stir up in me a word about us rebuking our governors and rebuking a lot of what's happening in states like ours that is not based on science, that is not based on evidence. It seems to be based on something in their worldview and or demonic in origin. And I wanted to make that clear that the Lord has spoke that to me, that we need to rebuke them and correct them. How we act according to what they have given us as lockdowns, that's between a person and their conscience. I'll explain more about that Sunday. But I want you to be aware that what you're getting from the mainstream media is not representative of your worldview. If you believe in truth, it's not representative of your, your worldview. If you believe in helping and in doing the best for your country, it is not reflective of your worldview. And our city and our state is known for its vast amount of deception through its liberal media. Not only do we have a pro-abortion governor who loves abortion, we have a lesbian mayor who, though jokingly, through memes, has been placed over every public place as a face of shutting it down. There is a lot of truth in those memes, and so I want you to be woke. And one of the things that I'll be doing, Lord willing, is speaking on the American Revolution and how they understood passages like Romans chapter 13 and how the preachers had a key place at that time. Now, do I believe we're anywhere near that? Of course not. But I do believe we're at the place where people have the right, biblically and constitutionally, in states like California, New York, Michigan, Illinois, to passively, peacefully resist the orders that we are given not to see our families, not to go to public parks, not to be on the water in our boats with more than two people or to not operate in small businesses helping the economy and those who are in dire need for finances. Take, for example, if you were running a pet grooming business and people willingly wanted to come to you to bring you their pet. That is a decision that our Constitution has given you the right to do. And now, in the time of pandemic, those rights need to be defended. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to go downtown and march, 
But if there was ever a reason to march, if you were a small business owner and you felt negatively impacted, this is not for all small business owners, but negatively impacted, this would be a good time to do so. If you are someone who deals with anxiety or depression and doesn't like being in long-term social isolation, this would be a good time for you to get out of your house and safely among those who are willing welcome you into fellowship groups. And if you are here and you need someone to meet with you personally on behalf of the church, I make myself available to do that for you because that is your right. You can gather together with preachers and teachers. Now, I won't be preaching so much on that today, but I wanted to make that clear as it kind of was left over from the weekend and that is very passionate to me. And so it, I am putting posts up today and a little bit probably tomorrow so that you can get on what I'm on. And if you disagree, that's fine. But the facts don't lie. And if you have different facts, I already had someone come on there and say, I couldn't disagree with you more. And then I said, what fact do you disagree with? Please put up there the evidence behind what you're disagreeing with. And then they said, well, I don't have time to argue with you. You know what? I'll go back and look at some of this and take a listen to your sermon on Sunday. You can go up and check it. It's there right now. So my thing is this. Facts are our friends. And just because I believe that this is also God's judgment, and I believe that bothered a lot of people as well, how nations can be so easily disrupted by something like this. I also believe at the same time that we shouldn't let our nation go to hell in a handbasket. In other words, if I was around during the time of Jeremiah and the judgment of Israel and people were becoming cannibals, that doesn't mean I start eating my children. I start helping people plant gardens and I start helping them find food. I don't want them to become cannibals. I don't want more people to die just because the end time says, uh, you know, a great number of the population will die because of plagues and diseases. And once again, I believe these are birth pains leading up to those great days of wrath. But that doesn't mean we just throw it to hell in a handbasket. When we look to the times of the Bible, when they were facing famine, Joseph was blessed because he was a part of the solution. I want to be a part of the solution. Even Daniel and Babylon, when those curses were coming upon Babylon and Persia was, was taking over, Daniel was a part of the blessings. I want to be a part of the blessings. As long as I am in a nation and in a city, I am righteous. I'm there to be a blessing to that people group, and I'm there to help them thrive. I'm not there to hide my wisdom under a bushel and just let them all perish. I'm here to help, and so are you. So once again, it may not be your thing. It may just be something that you trust me and others to do. Great leaders like Brother Anthony see it the way I see it. Brother Anthony Freeman and I have already talked. Great leaders like Pastor Troy and Raven team see it like the way I see it. Great leaders that I respect around the country, and I can name off quite a few, see it the way I see it. We can have concern for a literal COVID uh virus that's hurting people. We can literally have that concern for them and at the same time have a concern for our government, for the well-being of our nation, and for those who need to get on in ways that they can safely get on. We didn't know much about this a few months ago, but now we know quite a bit about it, and we're a lot safer than we thought, and those who have the preconditions, we can make room for them to get help, and at the same time, those of us who are safe, we can continue on, lest as I've already posted up, lest we bring an economic collapse and cause more unneeded harm to the world and to people who are suffering right now. So pray about that. 
Seek the Lord about that. Don't just take my word about that, but study on that. And I've already spoken to our elders. And I said, I want to be out, you know, I want to make sure that when I speak a word, I'm also accountable to what you believe and what you hear the Lord say. Because I went yesterday from that word directly into the sermon. And unlike it says in 1 Corinthians 14, other elders weren't able to weigh in on that. So I called up key elders to speak to them in our church and say, are you hearing what I'm hearing in the spirit or at least affirming what I'm hearing? And do you trust me? And they said, absolutely. Uh, some said, I am hearing what you're hearing and I'm equally concerned. And others said, uh, I have not studied it as you have or got a word on this, but I trust what you're saying. It lines up perfectly with the scripture and history and things that we would affirm as good for a nation. So take time this week if you're interested to see what I'm posting and share if you care to your friends that they can be there on the live feed when I show exactly what Romans 13 is used for, how we have the privilege and the right to our individual freedoms and religious freedoms as both biblically given and constitutionally given, and how we should manage our way through times of confusion, especially when those who are in political leadership have a lot of power over us. For example, we're not able to meet face-to-face -face according to them because of the power they have over us. We should take very seriously when people have power over whether or not the church meets. That alone should put the fear of God in you and be thankful that your pastor speaks to such issues. And once again, don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but if anybody says, Pastor, I would like for you to stay out of politics, I'll say back to them, you sound just like the devil then because he wants me out of politics. And you sound just like the British who wanted the black robe regiment, what the preachers were known as, you want them out of politics too, just like the British. Because the black robe regiment was a threat to their agenda because they manipulated religion to try to keep the colonies suppressed and oppressed, and that was part of the problem. And also you would be on the same side as the white slave owner that didn't like the white preachers and the black preachers during the time of the Civil War getting involved. So don't sound like the devil, don't sound like the, the, the British, and don't sound like the, uh, the slave owners, amen? Preach, pray, and plug away, and pray for people like me who have a call to have a prophetic voice. Doesn't mean you have to take it. Doesn't mean you have to believe it. It just means you should support that I do it, and then you go back home and pray. You go back home and seek the Lord, and uh, trust that we're doing the same. Amen? Can I hear, uh, can I see a chat of an amen? Got to learn that new phrase. Chat and amen, if you're with me. Now, let me share with you some uh, life lessons in the next couple of chapels, should the Lord guide me in the direction I felt today. He can change it up, obviously. But I feel for our next series of uh, next series of sermons with me present to talk about life lessons. And I have so many in our on our website, in our blogs. And I just started praying. I said, God, what are some of the ones you want me to bring back and preach on? Some of them I preached on before. Others I just had as blogs and never preached on. So I'm going to go back over these notes prayerfully and tie those things together. So let's talk today about loving unlovable people. It's hard. We know it's not always easy, but it is worth it when we learn to love unlovable people or tough to love people. I know some of you here might say, Pastor, I know I've been tough to love. And the notes are up. Websites working great, by the way. But let me just tell you this. Most people, in my experience of over 20 years of ministry, 
are not what I would call hard people to love. And I know most of you in this room, and I've already met you and dealt with you in some areas, though some of you here have been rebuked, probably all here have been rebuked in some way, I wouldn't even consider you uh, hard to love or tough to love. Let me take another look at you. Let me see. Is there anybody here before I make that statement? Let me just see. Let me see. Yeah, I'm telling the truth. I'm not just making that up. Somebody got nervous. They're like, oh, no, he might be talking about me. I might have to have him take that back. I'm tough to love. No, but listen, listen to me. I'm not here to give you the woes of a pastor and have you think that everything we go through is woe is me. And sometimes you talk to these pastors. Let me just come out of this real quick. Sometimes you talk to these pastors and that's all they do is they talk about these woes of ministry. Oh, ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people. You'll hear things like that. Another top leadership guru, he said, I believe that 10% of the church is demon-possessed. And you got to learn how to cast out demons every day. Some people say uh, demons, I mean the deacons said such and such. And so you hear these kinds of things. And as a pastor, I do tease in some of those ways, but I don't mean that. I honestly believe the church is the best place to work. I love working with the people of God. Have there been difficult people? Yes. But God has given us the resources and the tools of how to deal with difficult people. The Bible actually says we've been given problem-solving techniques, whether it's Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And on top of that, we've been given the love of God that transcends all of the world's hate, anger, and confusion, and bitterness. Love conquers hate. Love that God gives us is a love that they can't put out. They didn't give it to us and they can't take it away. The flame of God's love burns in our hearts and should burn away all the dross and all the wickedness of mankind. The Bible says we should have so much love in us that we can forgive even our enemies. So I'm not here to paint this picture that ministry is always going to have this element that's going to be like some thorn in your side and you just have to learn to endure it, to, you know, to carry your cross. I don't see it that way. What I see is that good biblical churches along the way, the minority of the time will have difficult people to love. They're just going to make it hard for you. They're not going to be the majority, not even close to the majority. I would say, like maybe using Judas as an example, maybe one out of 12, less than 10%. And if you uh, see the kind of success that we've seen at Metro Praise International, even though there might be one out of 10 or one out of 12 that cause issues, you will deal with them so quickly that if you were to add it up, it won't even count as 10% of your time in ministry. Because you will have systems in place if you borrow the ones that we've given here and you look to them as guides. And I say this to anyone listening to us outside of our church, you can get this book for free online and we have the guides to our problem-solving techniques in the, the book, Discipleship-Based Churches. You will see that it's probably less than 5% of your time. But to clarify, I want to be honest, that still, even if it's that less of the time, maybe only one out of 10 or one out of 12 people will break your heart. And maybe that heartbreak will only consume 5% or less of your time. Still, it hurts. You may only stub your toe one out of every 100 days, maybe only three times a year. And the stubbing of your toe may not break your toe and send you to the hospital and make all of these other things difficult in your life. But how many know? The moment you stub that toe, 
it feels like the greatest pain on the planet. It, it, it just shocks you, it hits you, and now you've got to deal with it, and it's painful. And so those are the ways that I would describe what it's like loving people that are not easy to love. So let's get into these notes. Let's see if I can give you some, uh, some good nuggies here and how I view loving people that are not always easy to love. My notes are online. I'm going to go to them now. Let's go to number one. Number one, and loving people that are not always easy to love. It's good to remember people are who they have chosen to be. So many times, I think that people are the victim of their own character. And I'm just here to help them get out of this victim mentality. And I have some things written there, but I don't want to keep my notes up all day today. I'd rather you see me and I see you. And, and so often, as, a, as an early pastor, I would think to myself, I can help them. I can help them. They're this way because the devil did it to them. They're a victim. I need to come and save them from this. But when you look at people's life choices, they're choosing what they want to be in life. Now, aren't we to help people make other life choices to choose differently? Absolutely. But when you are in that process of discipleship, and we have a lot of disciplers here and leaders, and you're in that process and you begin to feel like there's a tug of war between who the Bible says they should be and who they keep showing up as to your discipleship, to your ministry. My friends, you're not meant to be in that tug of war. You're not meant to fight with their free will over who they want to be. Oftentimes, you just need to step back and say, that's their choice. My choice is to be who I'm going to be, and that's their choice. I know it may sound prideful, but we ought to boast. If we boast in anything, we ought to boast in the Lord. There are times when I have discipled people that I've had to literally look at them and go, you can choose to go to hell if you want, but I'm not going with you. Somehow you might feel in this relationship that you're... Uh, you know, against me, or you're going to stop me, or there's a tug of war. You want to change the way I think about the things we're talking about. I just want to lay this down for you right now. I'm going back home to my family that's blessed. I'm going to sleep wonderfully tonight. I'm going to wake up with joy and a smile, and my children and my wife will testify. That is how I wake up 365 days a week, and I'm going to heaven serving Jesus whether you do or not. That is your choice. I am free from you in that way. And I know it sounds almost like a little bit sassy, but isn't it freeing when you think about that? I sometimes even have to tell them, I will not be chained to you on your day of judgment. I am not connected to you that way. You are going to stand by yourself on judgment day. And so will I. And as a matter of fact, I will be rewarded regardless of what you do. Regardless. You could go do the most opposite thing that I'm telling you right now. You can make the worst choices in your entire life right now. And I will be rewarded marvelously and magnificently on the day of judgment for what I've done for you. I know it's sassy, but you have to believe it. And if you look at Jesus' life, isn't that just what he's saying to people? That's your choice. I'm still going to go be the son of God and do what the son of God does. You all can do what you want. Now, of course, does it touch our heart? 
Does it break our hearts? Do we weep like Jesus did over Jerusalem? Absolutely. But our weeping is in the sense of, I'm sorry you made that choice. Jesus said to Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I, just, I wish I could bring you in like a mother hen does her chicks, but you haven't been willing. You haven't let me bring in your children. You haven't let me bring you in. Well, next time you see me, you're going to be saying that I'm the Messiah. You're going to be calling out to me as who I am. It's going to happen, you know. And there's a good scripture that we can put to this uh, life lesson here as we're working with people, and I want to share it with you. And that is in Proverbs 18, 28, uh, excuse me, Proverbs 1, 28 to 29. Then they will call to me, God speaking here, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. Doesn't the Bible make it clear that there's going to come a time where they're going to want to change the direction, but it will be too late. You can choose to go to hell, but I guarantee you, you're not going to like the consequence. And ultimately, a lot of people may want to change that consequence, but it's going to be too late. And not only in the great sense of judgment, but in everyday life, I sometimes think that people need to have a little bit of distance and suffer on their own. Paul called this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, handing them over to Satan. Now, some people don't want that to fit into their pastoral manual. And that's why they're at the mercy of these people who make bad choices. Because as they're making bad choices, they blame them on their leaders. But you see, I'm free from that burden they try to put on me. I have no problem handing members over to Satan. That fits into the box of being a good pastor in my worldview. That's one of the tools in my toolkit. Some people might look at me and say, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. It's in the scripture. First Corinthians chapter five, hand them over to Satan that they might be taught not to do what they're doing. That's part of my toolkit. That's a, that's a thing that I can employ in their life to give myself distance from them. That doesn't mean now I conjure up Satan and say, Satan, take them away. No, it simply just means I am no longer offering a hedge of protection or blessing. I'm letting them go their own way. And as they go that own, their own way, they're going to go the way of Satan. And I'm not going to be there to stop it. That's a part of our toolkit. And I believe it sets us free as pastors. I remember hearing the story about a dearly gentle, kind, compassionate man who got on fire for the Lord and called into ministry and really felt led to help the homeless. And as he started doing that, and by the way, I brought in over 30 homeless people into my house by God's grace so I can relate to this. As he started to bring in the homeless, they really started to take advantage of him. And as he would give tough love, they would turn it back against him and say that it's because of them, uh, because of him rather, that they are where they're at in life. Somehow this dear brother, after only knowing these people for a few weeks, was now responsible for the condition they had been in for years. And yet, unaware of the devil's schemes, he allowed that condemnation to come upon his mind and his heart. 
And it was that last straw, that last backslider that broke the camel's back, that backslider that blamed him for why he's not able to serve God and blamed him for why it's so hard for him to get free, that it was all this man's fault, the dear man who brought the homeless man in to share whatever he had with him. It was now his fault that that man was still on drugs. And that person believed it and quit ministering turned his back on God and began to say, how could God allow these kinds of things? I was a good person. I went out of my way to help this one. And now I feel worthless. I came into ministry self-confident or God-confident. And, and I came in with gifts and talents that I was ready to use and change the world with. Now I feel beat down. I feel like I'm a loser, that I'm not good enough. I question whether or not even Christianity is real. What was his problem? He was deceived. Oh, I wish I would have been his pastor. I would have said, look at me, brother. Look me in the eyes. The devil is a liar. You're an awesome man of God. Kick him out the house and go get 10 more in his place. He would have got free. He would have been free from that condemnation and guilt that he felt that he was under. He felt he had to be their savior and he was failing. My friends, there's only one savior and he even allows people to go to hell. There's only one good shepherd and he still kicks out the goats. Oh, let's be honest. As the meme says, Adam and Eve had the best pastor, but they still sin. Judas had the best pastor, but he still sinned. We could go throughout the Bible. They had some of them angelic visitations, and yet they still turned away from God. My friends, you're not their savior. Stop trying. People are who they choose to be. Now, I understand that we can be the results of, uh, the, uh, the result of what others do to us, but in Christ, we're supposed to be made new creations. Old things pass away. We're supposed to be born again. If someone doesn't choose to be born again and to live a new life, that's not your responsibility to, to wallow in the mud with them, to try to keep convincing the rich man or the goat to go with you. No, the Bible says that's up to them. Leave that up to them. And you do what God's called you to do. Be free from their choices. You make your choice. The next thing that I realized, life lesson about dealing with people that are hard to love, is you can't add things to people's character unless they want it. Very similar to the point number one, but I wanted to make it more specific. There are things in people's character that if they put up a gate and don't let you come in or put down the gate and lift up the drawbridge, rather I'm thinking of that medieval scene there with the moat in the middle. If they lift up the drawbridge and close the gate, you can't come into that part of their life. I have friends that are just as old as me, have been just as experienced in ministry as me, but don't have anywhere near the character and the life success that I have had because they don't let people in. I made a decision a long time ago to let people in. Brother Anthony from All Nations Church will come here in just a moment. Uh, we should get him on a chapel. Let's make sure we put that down, Lauren. But he'll come here if I had got him online in, in a minute and say, Joe has been one of the only ones, not the only one, but one of the only ones from the generation of people he taught and led who still comes to me and receives from me. He doesn't try to, you know, ignore me. He doesn't come and just talk about all his successes and think he's better than me. 
He still comes to me, opens up his life, opens up his marriage, and lets me speak into him. I can tell you multiple people that are like that in my life, from times past, from close friends, from those that I have no fear of letting them into my life. Why? Because I want my character to grow. Though I'm perfect in Christ, righteous and holy, the Bible says we're to grow up in our salvation, bear more fruit. That comes through our character development. We have identity at the moment of the cross. We have maturity until we see him face to face. And I believe we still go from glory to glory and maturity after uh, we have our glorified bodies. And so you'll see people who will continually go through these gerbil wheels and ruts in life and they will frustrate you, hurt you, because you see all they need is just a tweak here or there or something to change here. Like I have one of my friends, I just want to say with him, never speak negative about this situation again and watch what God will do in your life. Bless it. Just bless it. Never speak negative about it again and watch what God will do. I remember living in a, a you know, one bedroom shotgun apartment with rats coming in my house and mice and you know roaches and all that. And I would get upset with that place. And God told me, stop cursing it, bless it. And from that point on, I've never not had a great place to stay in. And I just feel that so many people just don't want to listen to those short, simple little life lessons that a mentor, a leader, a friend can just impart to them. And of course, God's been getting that message to them, but they don't hear it. And so God's using others and they don't hear it. And that they'll just receive it. There'll be breakthrough in that area. There'll be breakthrough. What does the Bible say about this? About people's character and what it takes to grow and how we should relate to them. Well, the Bible's very clear. Don't give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, does the Bible have in mind people who are dogs and pigs? Absolutely. That's a real warning to you. Don't keep throwing pearls to pigs. Now, somebody might say, oh, that's so mean to consider somebody a pig. Jesus told you you're supposed to have a discernment of who's a pig in your life, of who's a dog in your life. And so this goes once again to these beautifully broken pastors who need four breakdowns who need all of these things before they start listening to biblical advice. I'm trying to find a book here, uh, Leading on Empty, one of these pastor, uh, one of these books that I had to read about a pastor breaking down and all of these things need to come into their life and yet they look at us like we're the foolish ones when we use the Bible as the Bible. Let me find this for you here. I want to find it. Help me, Jesus, Leading on Empty. Here it is. It was right in front of me the whole time. Leading on empty. Refilling your tank, renewing your passion. Don't burn out. Get the best of you. It was a balmy California evening. I had gone out for a jog before I was to speak at a leadership conference. Probably charged a whole lot of money for people to be there, right? Okay. I still can't recall how I got there, but I found myself sitting on a curb, weeping uncontrollably. Here's your guest speaker weeping uncontrollably on a curb. I couldn't tell if it took place suddenly or gradually, but I knew something had broken on the inside. I remember lifting my trembling hands and asking out loud, what in the world is happening to me? 
Now I get to learn about your burnout while you charge me more money to learn about what not to do. No, thank you, sir. I haven't burned out. I'll give you my book for free. I don't need your book. I haven't burned out and I won't burn out. I will burn up for Jesus. Nor did my heroes burn out. See, these men didn't burn out. The holiness preachers that I affirm in this church didn't burn out. Look up Steve Hill. I believe he was dying of cancer. He was preaching holiness. He was preaching the love of God, winning souls until the day he went to be with Jesus. Look at the life of Reinhard Bonnke. I'll be here all day showing you that this is not our example. And they wonder why they're in the gerbil wheel of going on these sabbaticals. They need them all the time. It's because they still haven't learned their lesson. They're just putting band-aids on it. Get free. Get free from dogs and pigs. I know for us, we don't consider a dog on the same level as a pig, but maybe that will be a discussion how the Jewish people view dogs. But listen to me. Get free from that. Just get free from it. Offer people your best. Love them. Bring out that pearl. I mean, how often have you come into discipleship with that pearl? You were studying all week, praying for that person. You've been meditating in the words. You've been writing down your notes. You came there to that one-on-one meeting or to that youth service, and you just came with that precious pearl, and you wanted to impart it to that person. You had in your mind the meeting going a certain way. You had in your mind something transforming in their life. You brought that pearl to them. And they acted like a nasty dog. Not your dog at home as a pet, but a nasty dog. Like the dogs you see in New Orleans or in third world countries. A nasty dog. They acted like a pig with it. Well, what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to go and just prepare another pearl and bring it to him? No, the same Jesus that said, forgive your enemies, love those who despitefully use you, is the same one. That same Jesus said, stop throwing those dogs, your pearls. Stop throwing pigs, your pearls. Find somebody like an Oscar. Find somebody like a Lawrence and give them that pearl. Oh, they'll take that pearl. I've hung out with these brothers and they make me feel like I have the greatest pearls to give. TJ, and I wish I could name all of you here, but you give that pearl to someone who knows what it is. A dog doesn't know what a pearl is. A pig doesn't know. But you give it to somebody who knows what it is. And then they take that and they put that in their heart and they go, that's precious to me. That's precious. Thank you for giving that to me. I see that that was valuable to you. I see that that came from the treasure of your heart and your life. Thank you for that pearl. I'll treasure that. I'll keep that in my heart. It doesn't mean we don't love them. It just means we know who they are and how the enemy can use them in our lives if we're not careful. That homeless man just kept throwing pearls to pigs. Set them free. Let them go be pigs. Not your monkeys, not your circus. Go find a sheep, not a pig, not a goat, not a dog. Find someone who wants those pearls from your life. You may not always agree with them. Some of the best learning experiences might come from a disagreement you have with somebody you're in a relationship with. But they'll never look at you like a pig does. They'll never try to get you dirty and bring, the, bring out the mud in you. They'll just grow through that with you, just like a good friend or a marriage partner or a good family member. They're there for you as you're there for them. And you'll grow through life's difficulties, life's ups and downs. And I tell you, you'll look back on your life and you'll say, God has been so good. When I left those pigs, 
and I left those dogs alone. He, he has sent me a lot of sheep here, and I'm so thankful for them. You'll be free. Amen. And you won't have to write, write a book about you crying on a curb somewhere. Yeah, and by the way, I'm giving these kind of books. Like, learn from them. And I'm like, why am I not giving books from the guy who didn't burn out? Okay? But then they try to tell you, you don't understand. They don't understand. Listen to me. Let me just come out of this real quick. Let me just be very honest with you because as, as I get sassy, if you're telling me that this man here who cried on the curb and had something broken on the inside knows something that this man doesn't know because of that brokenness, I don't want it. This man knew how not to be broken. This man knew how not to let his marriage fall apart. This man knew not to how, how to cry on a curb and all of that. Whatever you think I need to learn from this, I, I cast it back to hell where it came from. I don't want to learn how to get over depression because I don't want to be depressed. Now, if you're here today and you're depressed, we'll help you get over depression and you can encourage somebody with that. But listen, shouldn't the better way be don't be depressed? Because otherwise, if you're going to respect me more for what I've been through, then I might as well go cheat on my wife now and go get two or three women on the side so I can tell you what it's like to overcome adultery. Or I might as well start snorting some coke so I can tell you what it's like to go be wild as a pastor to now come through my beautiful broken trial. Okay? When, when do we get away from that garbage mindset? Stop acting like brokenness is the key to you getting lessons in life. Yes, God probably sent this man some tests, but he failed it. Now, once again, if he wants to talk about how not to fail a test, okay, great. But why don't we learn from the person who got an A? I don't want to listen to the guy who had to repeat second grade three times how to do second grade. I want to learn from the person who did first grade the first time. Amen? Let's stop exemplifying failures. Read Hebrews 11. It doesn't exemplify all their failures and compare them to some biblical person like the woman at the well. We're all broken. It exemplifies what they did right. Learn from what they did right. And learn from the failures what not to do. And I have failed and I have made mistakes, but I don't glory in my failures. Are you listening to me? I glory in the power of Christ who is made strong in my weakness. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Next thing that we learn from, from life experience here is that I learned that people are oftentimes far more intelligent that we give them credit for. They are far more intelligent than we give them credit for. For I used to be in meetings with people, and I still am, but I mean, I used to really just drill this down. They would be quiet, and I just kept talking and talking, and I'm thinking, they just don't understand me. I'm talking, and I'm talking. I'm doing all the talking. Then I began to realize their silence is speaking louder than their words. They know exactly what I'm saying. They knew at the first, second, and third time what I said. The reason why they're not opening their mouth and affirming what I'm saying is because they're in hidden rebellion. That's why they remain quiet the whole time. The ones that I say something to and they're like, okay, I get that. Now let me get what you're saying. Back. And interact with me. They're in the learning process. People are far more intelligent than we give them credit for in discipleship. When I see people quiet, 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 I'm talking, there's no feedback, there's no feedback. They're rebellious. They're not listening. They're not ingesting it. They're not owning it. They're in themselves. And I'm not talking about a personality issue. I'm talking about a heart issue. You know what I'm, you could be the shyest person in the world. If I've shared with you 20 life lessons and a one-on-one -on -one mentorship, you know you're going to open your mouth and say some things. For you to do otherwise is pride and rebellion. Do not believe that people are as dumb as they want you to think. Sometimes they want you to think they're dumb. 
You ever talk to somebody who pretends to be dumb? My kids have tried to do that, and I told them, you pretend to be dumb with me, you're getting punished twice. Twice. Once for not doing the thing right. Then when I bring the thing up to you, you pretend to not know what I'm talking about, you're getting punished again. You lose your treat for one day for not understanding, uh, not, not doing it right. You do it again, uh, you get punished another day, lose your treat for the second day because you acted like you didn't know what I was talking about when you did that thing wrong. Don't play dumb with me. Don't act like you don't know. You know. You know what you're doing. People act dumb all the time. They are far more intelligent than you think. I remember doing acts of service for people when I used to drive the church bus and van and I would have to go through all of these protocols to get them there on time to be at the bus and wake them up and call them. Three people do this and make sure you let mamas know. Let make sure you let this mama know we're coming. Get the kids ready over here. Get over here. And then I began to get a revelation one day. I can't remember where I was at, but I was probably just somewhere normal. And I was seeing the same people I was picking up on the bus catching their own bus, going to work, going to their friend's house being responsible to do a thing or two. And then I began to realize, oh, I get it. You're playing dumb with me, aren't you? You're playing like you need me to call you Sunday morning. You didn't need to be called to go to the casino. You didn't need to be called to go pick up a check from somebody's house. You didn't need that call then, but you need me to call you to go to church. So many times I see these mama's boys come to our church. They, they really love my preaching and all this. They talk about how much they love me. And then all of a sudden I don't see them for a few weeks and then they write me or something. Why didn't you write me? Aren't you caring about who I am? Man, I'm not your Juliet and you're not my Romeo. We're not in some love story together. What are you thinking? Like I need to go sit underneath your trellis and go have a boombox on my shoulder and convince you to come back to church, you Oompa Loompa. What is wrong with you? Come to church. I'm not here to be your next buddy. I'm here to be your pastor. What, you don't know how to get up and get to church? You don't know how to ask me to pray for you? Well, nobody talk. I got grown men doing this. Uh, nobody called me at that church. Nobody did. Are you three? Are you three years old? Were we supposed to put pampers on you when you came here? Because that's what I do with my three-year-old. I'm getting free. Are you getting free? People in the church will act stupid. Do you go to your job like that? Does your boss have to call you up like that? You better be responsible for the things of God. The Bible says work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, of course, we can do kinds of things like that, care about people in those ways. But when people come to you demanding it, like it's because you didn't check up on me that I gave in to sin. The devil is a liar. You went into sin because you're a wicked sinner. That's why you did it. And God is not going to play that game with you in heaven. Oh, you didn't know. Oh, you didn't know. Oh, you know, like sometimes, I, like I told you, like I had to do with my kids. Oh, you didn't know. You didn't know that it was wrong to put paint on the wall. You didn't know you're 10 years old. You didn't know. You thought we were okay with that to do X, Y, and Z. You didn't know. Oh, you didn't know. Now you grounded two days because you didn't. You get you did you put paint here, you grounded one day. You didn't know about paint, you grounded another day. What is wrong with you? You don't know. Of course you know. I'm not going down that road with you, playing, playing you're stupid. I'm not talking to you like you don't know. Of course you know. Most people know exactly what they're doing 99.99% of the time. What they want is for you to feel sorry for them and overlook their stupidity and get drugged down with them. No, 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 no. We lift up the bar high. The Bible says count the cost. Look at what Proverbs 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 30 says. 
since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple, you see the simple, the stupid, the people who are ignorant, the simple will kill them. And the complacencies, uh, the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear or harm. Yeah, there may be times you got to reach out to somebody. And God forbid if we're not there as a church. I mean, please let us know if we weren't there and you were reaching out. But this passive aggressive, you waiting for the call. You waiting for the three people to write you. We miss you. They're waiting for this. They're waiting for that. They're complacent. They're simple-minded. They don't understand it. They put more time in understanding Game of Thrones than they do the Trinity. That's why. They put more time in understanding the gossip on Facebook than what's going on in that discipleship group. That's why. See, they're complacent and they're simple-minded and God's not playing that. It will destroy them. In the Bible, look at the stewardship parables. It's those who go out and work who get rewarded. And it's the one who just simple-mindedly buries it, who gets it taken away and given to the one who has much. So don't play that with me. Well, my professor never told me when it was due. Well, then ask the professor when it was due. Well, my professor never told me. Well, ask the professor. You know, I wish I could name some of your names here right now because you've gone through tough life situations and it was because of your complacency. Well, I didn't know I was supposed to have insurance if I was going to do Lyft or this, that, and that. Man, how did I know to have insurance? Come on, don't get quiet now. You know I'm talking to you. Thank God I don't name your name. And then your car gets wrecked and then you don't have it. Man, you should have thought about that. I'm starting a business. I better ask somebody, do I need insurance? That was the first thing that crossed my mind. I better ask somebody. Some of you in those same kind of silly positions and you wonder, why, why, why did this happen? Oh man, life's just tough. I'm in a test. No, you're not doing the right thing. Do the right thing. Now, have I made stupid decisions and suffered? Absolutely. But I'll tell you right now, you better get woke, people. Don't think to yourself, this world owes you anything. This world doesn't owe you anything. This world does not come bubble wrapped with a set of instructions. You better figure it out with God. Amen. You better figure it out. I'm, I feel bad for so many of you in those problems that you suffer and those things. I can name off others of you. You're on the 10-year SUM plan because you didn't figure out how to pay a bill, get a job in the summer. You wanted to be so spiritual, having Holy Ghost treasure hunts in your bedroom at night, passing gas, uh, listening to Misty Edwards instead of getting a J-O-B and working. That's why you on the 10-year program. You better get woke. You better get woke if you want to graduate. You better start to learn how to make tents. Are you listening to me? I'm going to look right at you right now, son. Be happy I ain't naming your name. I can name a bunch of your life scenarios up in here. Because I got a church that wants to keep it real. We can't blame the devil for those things. That's our simplicity. That's our simplicity. The devil takes advantage of our simplicity. And he destroys us by it. The Bible says we need to get woke to the truth of God. Amen. Lauren's getting way too free. I can see her expression. She's like, man, this is what I needed today. Number four, complicated people make things complicated and messy people make messes. I've learned this too being a parent. When my children have a bad attitude, that follows them everywhere they go. And when they don't want to learn something, they'll make it so complicated. Sometimes I just try to tell them how to hold a pencil. 
But if they're not in the right attitude for me to hold a pencil, I mean, look at me, y'all, look at me. I'll be giving them the pencil, and, you know, and they're not in the right attitude. I'll give them a pencil, and they'll just be like, Dad, is this what you're saying? Is this what? And I'm like, no, hold the pencil like this. And they're like, like this? And I'm like, listen to me. You better listen to me. Either you hold the pencil like I'm holding the pencil right now or you're going to bed early. And then whoop. Boy, they hold that pencil real quick. Whoop. Oh, I get it. Now I'm paying attention now. Because what were they doing before? They were just playing, playing like it was, it was, it was just so complicated. It was just so complicated to, to, to get the pencil the right way. But then once I told them, you better pay attention to me. Stop making this complicated. They get it real quick. I'm not saying everything is easy. I'm not saying there won't be messes or complications in life. But you understand this. You find yourself dealing with people where everything's complicated. Everything's taken three different ways. They can't understand what you meant. Well, I thought you meant this. I thought you meant... Well, this. you're just messy. Listen to me. Let me tell you this. You're messy. You're complicated. You lack normal common sense. You're weird. Stop being weird. Let me pray for you. Things aren't meant to be complicated in life like that. Things aren't meant to be messy all the time like that. Things are meant to be clean in your life. Things are meant to be understood in your life. I've been in arguments with even pastors, and they've said to me, I just don't understand why you're upset. I said, brother, either you do not understand English or you're playing dumb with me right now because I've told you three times why I'm upset with you. I've told you three different times. I'm going to say it again. This is why I'm upset. I'm telling you, I've been in conversations with mature adults who say, well, I just don't understand. I just don't. And I'm like, I have told you clearly. I have written it down. You don't want to understand. You are in a place in your head right now where you want this to be messy, you want this to be complicated, you want this to be something that I am not making it. And because of that, you're going to cause a complete mess out of this. And we've even predicted it in people's lives in our church. And we've said, I know how you're going to take this. I know how you're going to spend this. I know what you're going to do. No, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to do that. And then the moment they leave our presence, they spin it all that complicated, messy way. When it was real simple, it was their rebellion, their bad decisions, their issues, etc., etc. Complicated and messy people will always be complicated and messy. Help them by getting free from them. What does the Bible say in Titus 3, 10 through 11? Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped. They're sinful and they're self-condemned. That's one, probably one of the reasons why this guy was crying on a curb somewhere. He didn't know how to warn them once and then get free from them the second time. I, I am not, listen to me, my friends. I am not obligated to stay in your mess or explain things to you over and over. And I'm not obligated to do that for you. I, as a teacher, as a professor, I'm here to help you. But I'm also here to teach you how to help yourself. You write me something that I know you could do on your own. I'm going to say, did you try it on your own? You say, no, I didn't do it. Okay, next time try it on your own. Google on your own, you know? Somebody causes an issue. Well, I didn't know. I was just trying to help. Okay, well, now you know. Stop getting your nose in other people's business. We don't need your help. You know, you find their nose in another person's business. Now, listen, we're warning you. You can't do this anymore. We've got to send you on your way because we're not going to allow busybodies here. You get free that way. And then you have a church 
that we started off in the testimony time at the beginning here, that's less than 10% messy and less than 5% of your life is spent dealing with it. Why? Because you're not trying to figure out their mess. You're not trying to untie every knot in their head. I've been there. And every time I've been there in long discussions, Lawrence will tell you, I regret going more than a half hour with those folks because those long discussions never lead to the, to the, the peace we're looking for. It just leads to us repeating ourselves over and over and over again. Now, having gotten passionate, let me end with this. Yes, it's hard to love people at times, but it's worth it. The Bible says, that this is how we know we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. Paul said in Romans 12, 9 through 10, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. See, you hate what is evil, but you cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. That's how we know we're the children of God. So I'm glad I got to make it plain with y'all here. I love you and all the examples that I used you still haven't been even considered to me a hard person to love. But I do feel oftentimes that some of you, you make life so much harder on yourselves than you should. Don't be simple-minded. Don't get stuck in ruts. Let people into your life. Be teachable. And you'll thank God for it in the end. You'll be happy for lessons like this. <clears throat> there was a story about a man who started a movement and he had a similar personality to me. And I'm not trying to say this for you guys to feel a certain way, but it just spoke to me. And he passed away at an early age because of a brain aneurysm. Something happened in his brain. So I think he passed away at 45. And the way this movement grew after him was amazing. It's still here around today. There's even a campus here in Chicago. I think it's called um, Praise Chapel. Praise Chapel, something like that. And uh, Spirit-filled Church. And he had a very similar testimony like mine. And he was a leader similar to me. Like, you know, I'm self-aware. I understand how I am. Everybody doesn't have to be like me, but I'm, you know, I'm passionate about things. And some of the leaders like Birdo and Jared and these other men that he had seen raised up when he was there were now the leaders of this movement. They had their own campuses and all of this. And they were talking about him and they got teary-eyed. And you know what they said? They said, you know what I miss the most about him? It was that he would always get on us to be the best we could be. He said, I don't, they said, I don't have anybody else like that anymore. That just would not settle for my second best. They wanted always me to give my best. They, were, they said, I miss that man coaching me and encouraging me, pushing me to be who I could be in Christ. And I pray that not only for myself, but for you that people will see that you love them and that you're want, wanting the best for them, but you're willing to hurt their feelings to get to their heart. Like you're not going to walk on eggshells. In other words, you're not going to intentionally hurt feelings, but you're willing for them to be offended at times with you. You're, you're willing for them to even walk away. There's people in our church that were Matthew 18 that are now deacons in our church or leaders. And they came back out of Matthew 18 protocols. We had to separate, but they came back and did a wonderful job. You have to be willing to love people like that because that's what it takes in real ministry. And to me, when I look back on the 20 years, I can say, praise God, it's been a great journey. Sure, I've grayed a little bit early. Yes, I've had to catapult some people out the church. Yeah, I've had long meetings, 
But you know what? I wouldn't trade it for all the good that I've seen and all that God has done. Yeah, I would do those things differently. I've learned now. But boy, I love the people that I work with and serve God with. They're truly giving it their best. I can see they're all in like I'm all in. No one here is half-stepping in the call of God. We're all in, and we're loving being all in. And I think that's where God wants the church to be. It's a church that's all in. And can we be patient with the weak, the slow, the simple? Yeah. But once again, they dig in their heels, and they want to be a dog or a pig or whatever. We have to walk away from that and say, I'm sorry, but i got to give you the gift of goodbye and give my time and my pearls and my life to those who want the devotion that I have to give because I don't know about you, but I want to be devoted to people in love. I want to be the kind of person that I can develop relationships with that last a lifetime, that 20, 30 years from now, should the Lord tarry, people can say, man, I'm a better um, Christian or I'm better at living for Jesus because Joe was in my life. I want them to say that about me. And then I want to be able to, to say that about good people in my life. Man, I'm better at loving Jesus because people like Lauren and Griselda and others were in my life and we shared life together. What a joy it was to know them, to live for God with them. So let's close in prayer. Then I'll turn off uh, the live feed. Lauren will do that rather. I'll turn off the recording and then we'll take any questions or comments you may have. Father, we thank you for today. We pray that Lord will first of all be the kind of people that uh, are gracious with our leaders and are open to correction and teachable. Make us the kind of people that are easy to love, easy going, not hard, uh, not easy to offend, but hard to offend, slow and patient to anger. Make us like that, O oh Lord. And then help us to love the people we serve, to not be distracted by their attitudes or by their issues, but to simply handle the issues the way you taught us from the word and to be free from condemnation and bondage so that we can go on and find those who truly want what we're offering in your name, to find people who want those pearls. Father, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.